Hello and welcome to the Draft Talk podcast brought to you by 99 Yards. As always, we're talking all things NFL Draft and we've got a very special episode for you today. I'm your host, Brian, and I'm joined as always by the Draft Talk team, Owen, Stu and MJ. And I'm delighted to join to be joined by a very special guest, the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, writer and draft analyst for PFF. It's Trevor Sycamore. Trevor, how are you doing? I am doing great, guys. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, it is, of course, my favorite time of year. It sounds like it's y'all's favorite time as well, getting to talk about these draft prospects. So I appreciate you having me on. I know this will be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. We've got a couple of questions. I want to talk about some of the guys we like, some of the guys you like, all sorts of stuff around the draft. Uh, I'll kick you off with a pretty pretty generic one. Um, I guess, what are your big thoughts about this year's this year's draft class? Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's a fun draft in a lot of different ways. It feels like there's a lot of different players of a lot of different shapes and sizes, and I know that you could say that every single year. And look, I'll just say right off the top of the bat, like this is not the strongest draft class that has come through over the last five, six years, whatever. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be difference making players. And in fact, I. first rounds that you just got so many different first round grades on these players, you know, they're all going to hit. And I think there's an art and there's a fun to uh, positioning those players to the right team, seeing where they could break out the most, especially early on in their careers. But when we talk about draft classes, like I feel like this one is where it's not as obvious who the stars are, let's say through the first 15 picks. Right, because I think that we could probably give you five or six names that we really love in this class. But outside of those five or six, we all know that 31 players have to go in the first round. Right, there are 255 players that have to get drafted no matter what. And so figuring out where those stud players are, I think the running back room is really deep this year, as it seems to be every year. I love the fact that we've got four quarterbacks that are making this a lot of fun to talk about at the very top. This cornerback class, I think, is really strong. Even going into second, third round, I think that it's pretty dang strong. There's some edge rushers that are certainly to like. There's some offensive tackles that I think are making things intriguing. And then I'll shout out the tight end group as well. I think there's a handful of tight ends that could be top 50, top 60 picks in this draft. And so those are kind of the areas where I feel like this particular class is the strongest. But overall, I really do just enjoy the process of, okay, it's not as obvious who the breakout players are going to be. So let's find them. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's figure out which strengths are going to shine at the NFL level. And so that's a fun process for me too. Does that mean you're any closer to figuring this draft out because we're struggling? Depends. Depends what you mean of figure this out. What do you, what do you mean by figure this out with the, the draft? This, this is one of the most difficult to rank classes, I think, that, that we've done as a group. I think it is kind of difficult, especially when you get I, shoot. Uh, anytime you go from like position to position, it's really hard to like create a numerical big board. Right. Like you go, all right, I really like this off ball linebacker. How do they compare to this running back? Well, I, I, it kind of just depends what kind of scheme you have, what coaching staff you right. have, what your team needs are. And so that definitely goes into it. But I think this class specifically, it's even hard within positions to rank a lot of these guys. I look at wide receivers and I just went over uh, 12 wide receivers. You just finished some some uh, early scouting reports for 12 of these wide receivers. And there's so many of them that you look at the very top of this class, you go, okay, there's three wide receivers you might like. Like, let's say Quinn Johnston, uh, Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. 
three completely different wide receivers, right? And so if you told me, hey, I like this guy the most, I'm going to rank him number one, I'd probably say to you, all right, well, if you're a team that really needs that skill set of a player, you might have him number one. But it's it's just, I think within positions, to your point, it is kind of a difficult class to rank because a lot of these guys are, it's almost preference. You know, it just depends. The boards for different teams are going to look so different this year. And I think that kind of goes into what I was saying before, where you're trying to find those stud players. And for teams, they're specifically trying to find those guys who work in their system with their coaches, with their guys. And the boards are going to look totally different this year, which could make for a very exciting first and second round of the draft when it comes to April. Yeah, and and a lot of people who are maybe not quite so into the draft, you know, excitement of night one and things. For me, I always think rounds two and three are potentially going to be more interesting Mm -hmm. because there's so much players that I find are just all concertinaed into this group of how do you separate them out and and trying to work out who's going to go where is is really difficult. So I, I suspect we might see lots of people moving up and down boards if players they like are there, people they aren't don't like. I think day two could be really fascinating as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, just going back to even like, for example, what we, what we saw last year with the new England Patriots, right. And we see this every year where it gets revealed that some teams have players way higher on their boards than other teams might have. And you don't necessarily know that's the case of your team. So if you're the Patriots, you're picking Cole strange in the first round. I mean, we all watched the Los Angeles Rams and their live stream, their reaction, Les need and Sean McVay are kind of like laughing about it. Cause they're like, we thought this guy might be available in the third or fourth round and they're out here picking him at 29 or wherever he went in the first round. And so I think that specifically to your point is going to show up in rounds two and three, uh, Connor and I on the stock exchange podcast in one of our most recent episodes, we were having a funny little back and forth where we were picking for the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns have selection number 42 and then they next pick at 98. So middle of the second round and then kind of like at the end of the third round is where the Cleveland Browns are picking. And we were talking about them adding a wide receiver. And I brought up Tank Dell as a yeah. wide receiver for them for them to pick at number 42 overall. And Connor's like, what are you talking about? Like they they, they, they might not even pick him at 98. And I, I just feel like those conversations are going to be happening at such different levels throughout the NFL with these coaching staffs and these scouting departments is – Where do we rank these players? And to your point, that's going to show up the most on day two, where we might look at a situation where Tank Dell, let's say, let's say Tank Dell goes 42 overall. We're going to say to ourselves, wow, look at that. The NFL really liked Tank Dell. Well, that might not be the case. It might have just been one team that liked Tank Dell that much. And the rest of the NFL maybe thought that he was a third, fourth rounder, whatever it is. So I feel like not just not just what we see on rounds two and round three. But you know that behind-the-scenes information that kind of comes out after the draft that you learn, whether it's from these team videos or team reporters or whatever, that's going to be fascinating to me, learning where these teams might have had certain players and where they might have taken them. So I think the summer overall after this draft is going to be fascinating. I was going to say Owen would pick Tank at 42. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Trevor, do do you think that teams might really go for players where they think there's a high ceiling do you think given the draft class this year do you think some some teams might really reach and think you know like taking tank dell for it for instance you know he's got a particular skill set that mm-hmm. doesn't suit all teams he's he's you know he might end up a bust or he might end up you know spectacular do you think some teams might really swing for the fences this year 
Yeah, and I do wonder if that'll be the case, even you know, specifically in the first round, right? Because you know, I'm I'm not finished with my evaluations yet. We've got combine measurements, medicals, you know, some athletic testing, some pro day stuff, and just overall, just some intel information that we have to gather on a lot of these guys. But let's say, let's say at the end of the process, I have anywhere from 15 to 20 first round grades among like all players. Well. 31 players still have to get picked in round one, right? Even, even if you only, like, even if a team only has 15 first round grades, they might come on the clock. And if, if they don't have a player with a first round grade, sure, maybe they'll trade down and try to get to that sweet spot to where they get a good value for them. But if not, then they've got to stay on the clock and they've got to pick a player who maybe they think would be worthy of a first round selection. So to your point, do they take a big swing of the fence? Like, do they go for a guy who goes, who you go, look, his skill set, he might not be a well-rounded prospect at this point, but his skill set could be huge for us. Somebody who I think comes to example uh, right away in my mind, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, right? Jalen Hyatt is a pretty streamlined prospect. If you want him to be a Justin Jefferson or Devontae Adams type of wide receiver one, you're going to be sorely disappointed when you kind of get him out there. But if you want a vertical deep threat wide receiver who could have the one or two plays a handful of times throughout the year that make all the difference in the world when it comes to wins and losses, that's a ceiling maybe you take a chance on. And I think in other classes, like for example, even if we go back to last year's class, I'm not even thinking about drafting Jalen Hyatt in the first round with all the wide receivers we had last year. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, Drake London, like all, like all of those guys that were so talented, Jameson Williams, John Dotson, like all those dudes. I wouldn't have even thought about drafting Jalen Hyatt, even with his speed in the first round last year. But this year, maybe sneaks into the back of the first round because of kind of what you said. Maybe these teams are just going to want to take these big, sw big swings at the bat where they say, look, he might not be the most well-rounded prospect in the world, but I see his strength and we can put him in a position to succeed there. That's a home run swing for us. Let's take the chance maybe a little bit earlier than our round grade would suggest on his scouting report. Are we ready to get into some players? Let's do it. I think Brian's frozen there, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll kick off. So we're going to talk about some underrated guys. Brian, if you come back at any point, jump in. But we're going to talk about... Oh, there he is. There he is, finally. You like what I did there? Stepping in. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No, I think I'm back now. Right. Sorry. <laughs> no, go on, go on. You're the host, Brian. Come on. Oh, okay. Well, we're gonna get in some players then. Oh, I did there. Okay, oh, well, I'll I'll throw the first one. In. We we just spoke about him on our previous pod that we recorded. Um, a bit of a um, might be a bit of a hit and miss. Depends what team you are. Depends you like Anthony Richardson. He he's been mocked anywhere from one of one of our guys, Adam at four. You've seen him in in the, in the sort of twenties. What, what's your take on him? And and I guess when it comes down to it, where where do you sort of see him going? So we haven't done uh we haven't done full early quarterback evals yet, but I have watched plenty of Anthony Richardson because I'm a university of Florida graduate. So I have mm. watched every single snap there is to <laughs> see of Anthony Richardson and a little so, bit of bias in there, maybe <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I think he's going number one overall. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but I do think that he is supremely talented. Like going back to the conversation that we were just having, uh, do you take a massive swing at the bat? This is a prospect that I think that you really take a chance on. And, 
you know, I've said this before. I think I said it on the Stock Exchange podcast. People are going to look at the pros and cons of Anthony Richardson. And I think, you know, I don't say like casual draft fans to be like an insult or anything, but like people who are kind of like just tuning into draft content around this time of year, they'll hear a lot of those pros and cons and they'll say, well, hold on. Really great mobility, big arm. Uh, isn't there yet with his mechanics, um, doesn't have the accuracy that we want yet. The consistency is not there, but really high ceiling player. Isn't that Malik Willis? Like, didn't I just, didn't I just lay out Malik Willis right there? And Malik Willis goes third round. So like, why are we talking about Anthony Richardson as a first round pick, a top 20 pick, a top 10 pick? And I would say that there is, although surface level, maybe those, umbrella terms or umbrella ways that you identify Anthony Richardson might be similar to a Malik Willis. He's much further along. I think the pocket management that Anthony Richardson has is much better than what we saw from Malik Willis coming out of Liberty. So what we've seen out of Malik Willis, certainly in his short stint with the Tennessee Titans, I think Anthony Richardson is really calm in the pocket. I, I think that the footwork, the mechanics, the accuracy, sure. It's not always there as much as you would want, but you got to remember this guy's a first year starter. You know, he's really just getting, he was just getting live reps for the very first time. And from what I kind of was told about behind the scenes stuff at Florida, Dan Mullen wasn't exactly grooming him to potentially be a starter. He wanted the experienced Emory Jones to be his quarterback that last year that we, they were there. And AR was more of just like, he was the spell kind of a quarterback. You know, you come in in those QB power situations, you know, those wild, almost like wildcat looks, if you will, wasn't really going to be an option with his arm. So he was never really in that position to succeed. He was never running with the ones. He was never really vying for that starting quarterback job the year before this past year. So I think that this year was the first year that he was really evaluated as a quarterback. And I think for a baseline, sure. Do you want him out there at the NFL level? week one of next season? No, probably not. He's not going to look pretty. But if you get him in a situation where you're even picking him in the top 10 and you're letting him sit, right? You look at maybe what the 49ers were thinking that they could do trading up to number three overall to go get Trey Lance, right? That's a situation where they were comfortable drafting Lance, letting him sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a full season, and then eventually going to Lance after that. Now, of course, you know, the injury and everything that's been up and down with San Francisco, it hasn't exactly allowed that to be smooth sailing as a plan, but you could see what they were going for. And that's the kind of outlook that I see with Anthony Richardson as a player. And that's why I do think that somebody's going to take a chance on this dude. And I think that it uh, top 15 is honestly, I feel like it's a lock for him in the top 15. It's just a matter of how high he's going to go. Is he going to be QB two QB three for some of these teams and can go even higher than that. Yeah. So we're kind of just moving on to some other players. I think Owen and MJ have got some players that they've talked about maybe a bit further down than kind of round one. The guy I was going to talk about was, and Brian, don't worry, you might not have to say his name afterwards. So don't worry about it. Adetomuiwa Adeboari, the, the edge from the Northwestern Wildcats. I'm not sure on the pronunciation. I think it's a really difficult one to say. He's a guy that I've really liked kind of in that, you know, there's a big, deep kind of defensive line class. Um, He's kind of played five tech, four I, three tech. He's kind of played a little bit all over for the Wildcats. Um, And for me, he's a guy that he's that versatility. He's really a guy who on, on passing downs, he gets quickly through and penetrates through the, the offensive line really quickly. Um, he, he leverages quite well at the point of attack. He's got good hands, quite a strong guy, maybe not the most flexible rusher. And, and he's a bit on the shorter side from some of the other guys only measuring, I think it's about 6'2", that 280. So he's kind of that hybrid kind of player. But I think he's a player that if teams, 
if they have a right role for him, I think he could be really successful at, at the next level. I mean, he's somebody I've got my eye on, just interested to see where he goes. Yeah, first of all, uh, very, very well done on the pronunciation. That is a tough <laughs> one. Adetemiwa Adebwari is a very tough one. And yeah. uh, I had to I had to say that name in my head over and over and over I've and over again. I've been practicing for, yeah. <laughs> When we were, well, you could tell because you, you you hit it well, but no, he's he is a super intriguing prospect again, kind of like you said, not a guy that I expect to go in round one, but a very intriguing player who I think a lot of teams are going to like on their board somewhere on day two. I, I think there are going to be plenty of teams that like him as a second rounder, uh, plenty of teams that like him as a third rounder. I would be very, very shocked if he got out of the day two range, but you mentioned it. I like him the most as an interior player, you know, I like him in a perfect world. I'd love to see him like gain a little bit more weight, maybe sit, sit at like 295, try to be able to play three-tech because man, those long arms are just such a weapon. And I think as the senior bowl progressed, we saw that from him. You know, that he's he, he measured in at six foot one and a half and 284 pounds, but he had an 82 and an eighth inch wingspan. And so it was almost this best of both worlds for an interior player where – he could get low on you and keep that leverage at the snap, fire off the ball, and then when he shot his hands inside, if you allowed his hands to get inside, then when he would extend his hands, the length was so long, he could almost forklift these offensive linemen that probably outweighed him by about you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds. He could get them on their heels, push them back, and Shoot, I mean, that rep between him and uh, Jarrett Patterson on day three, which was felt like it might have been the rep of the entire week, it just showed how powerful he was when he's able to really lock in that technique with that unique build that he has. So intriguing player, without a doubt. I think there's, you know, I, I think there are going to be plenty of defensive coaches that believe that he's versatile enough to, like you said, be able to play five tech, four I, three tech in the NFL. Um, if he had to have one position, I'd be honing in on to make a home base. I'd love for it to be like that four I, three tech player. I'd love yeah. for him to be more of an interior player than an edge, a uh, consistent edge guy, even as a five tech, but no doubt about it, somebody who, uh, is very uniquely built, uniquely gifted, and somebody who I think the NFL is going to value. Yeah, I'll roll off that because the guy that I was going to go with is, is very similar in, in terms of the outlook there, in terms of like underrated players that I, I really like on the defensive line, uh, to the two up a lot to from USC. Um, I, I think he's so good. and He's a player that I don't think has been, been spoken about enough at all. Now, we'll caveat and saying he has appeared in some first-round mocks, but being realistic here, I don't think any of us expect him really to go in the first round. But you watch the tape and he is absolutely everywhere. And then his scouting report is just, you, you go down the list, you know, extremely productive and being productive from a multiple different alignments, played all over the defensive line. And, you know, even, you know, some people have him listed as a defensive tackle. He's not, he's an edge, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, has that versatility to his game. Really long, good size and length. You know, he can win with speed and power, has the burst, has the speed, come around the edge. It's just really good. He can even drop into coverage at times. Just he is all over the field at USC. Now, of course, you know, there are some things to work on. He needs to clean up his tackling. There's no doubt about it. It's a real issue that, you know, he almost dives and lunges into tackles at times, sometimes even off his feet, and he just can't get wrapped. So he just needs to improve that more of like a rugby-style tackle, I think, would really would really improve him so he can be a bit more grippy so the offence can't, um, can't escape his grasp. But, but I think if he can clean that up, then there's going to be one hell of a player go probably in round two. 
No, I think that round two is probably a good, a, a good, a good spot for him. Um, maybe round three, but yeah. somewhere on day two for sure, no doubt about it. I mean, he's just he's a very versatile player, and if you are a defensive coach that loves to have a lot of their players mixing in and out from interior to to outside, six four, two hundred ninety pounds, so he's kind of like in that middle range where. You know, he's not going to get overpowered on the interior, you know, but he's not going to be super slow on the edge. You mentioned how much he was able to play at edge. It was funny. Um, he was listed. He was listed somewhere as an interior defensive tackle. And when I went through my rankings and I was just going through my initial yep. watch of all these guys in the class, I turned on to his tape and I'm like, okay, this is the 15th rep now in a row that he's lined up at edge rusher. <laughs> so like, I, why are, why am I, why am I watching him with the edge rush group? He's uh, or with, with the interior defensive lineman, he's clearly right. lining up most on the edge, but you mentioned it. It's, it, it's just kind of that, um, that all around blend. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's, you know, he's not going to be a player who I think is going to be an edge bender for you. So like, I don't know if you're just going to like love him at full time at edge, but he is somebody who the strength profile, I think, shows up in, in all categories. They lined him up anywhere, and I think that anytime you hit that speed-to-power move or he was attacking the inside of, of interior players, he was able to do it, and he was able to do it well. So I know he's pretty high on a lot of people's radar, but there's no doubt. He is like a hot-topic name of like somebody who is one of those fan favorites when it comes to a back-top 50 or back-top 60, something like that, somebody that will be picked pretty close to, uh, to the beginning of round two. Trevor, just switching to running back position because you mentioned the running back class and it is it is deep and there's there's lots of value there and and NFL teams are now you know on a regular basis picking up rookie running backs and getting really great value. I wondered what you thought around running backs who have versatility. So I'm I'm thinking of somebody like Kenny McIntosh who's you know that he yes running back but also very good receiving throughout. I think he was about 500 yards receiving uh, this year. Um, and, and showed in those games against Ohio State and against TCU at the end of the season that, that there's, a, there's some value there in him as a, as a player, a dual threat sort of player. I wonder what you thought around versatility of running backs like Kenny McIntosh and, and also guys who, who perhaps have been used a bit more sparingly at college, who that's why they might go under the radar because they weren't, they weren't the, you know, the bell cow kind of running back. Yeah, I mean, specialization for the running back position is such an important part of of just scouting reports now like you're not you can't evaluate every back as if they're a bell cow like you just can't it, it, it it's not that's not gonna be the case you know when you when you make your running back rankings your running back rankings cannot be solely based on how what percent of a three down back is this player because some guys just aren't that you know running back is so diverse now that even at the college level you're seeing you're seeing two back systems. You're seeing three back systems. I think you see a little bit more of a rotation for that in the NFL, just because guys are a little bit more streamlined and exactly what you want them to do. Um, the competition level obviously is, 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 uh, is a massive step up. So guys that maybe don't have the best vision, you know, you don't want them carrying the ball on early downs, but maybe they've got great hands, you know, maybe use them in the receiving game. So you keep them on the roster, you play them plenty as a third down back. But yeah, I just think that there's a lot of different roles that running backs can fill. Uh, and there's also a lot of different ways which you can deploy your running back room, like design your running back room. And I think that's what gets lost in the shuffle of, yeah, it's a big, you know, everybody talks about how like PFF hates running backs, right? We never want running backs to go in the first round. We never want them to go uh, in the top 50. And that's not the case, you know, that, but we, we, we try to take full context into the fact that one, there's a lot of really great running backs to come 
through the draft every single year. It just feels like that, that you're, you're going to have the chance to pick up a really good running back at any point in time, whether it is first round, second round, third round, fourth round, whatever it is. And when it comes to the bang for your buck of the money that you're spending on them, both in draft capital and in second contracts, it just feels like there's a lot of value when you wait at least until the second round to pick up these guys. But you know, if you in running back rooms change, right? If you're a team that has a bell cow running back and has a guy who can absolutely dominate on all three downs, yeah, you're probably going to lean into him. You're going to want that to be the case. Well, if that player ends up getting hurt or they go somewhere else in free agency or whatever happens, maybe the next year it could look completely different. You could say, all right, well, we have a speed guy behind him. Let's wait until the third round and let's draft like more of a power guy. Then boom, all of a sudden now, now you just, now you got a one, two running back room. Now you've got a dynamic duo instead of a one back system. And there are some, Teams that go full three running backs, right? Guys that they want to get on special teams, guys that they want to play on specific third down situations. And I'll just say that third down value, kind of like that ver versatility that you're talking about is really valuable. Uh, when I was getting my start in this industry, I worked for a publication called pewterreport.com covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I was a beat writer there for them. They had Dari Ogunwale from Wisconsin on their roster, and Ogunwale was consistently on that team because he was the best third down back. He made the team every single year because there was not a player who was a better pass catcher and a better pass protector than he was. And he was able to stay on that team for two, three years just because that was a role that was so important. Being able to be a running back who brings you that value in late down situations is huge. So for guys like Kenny McIntosh, who I think absolutely fill that role, um, you know, you go a little bit further down, like some people like those short yardage backs, third down backs, like a Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky, right? Like that's a guy that's pops into my head. Um, that, there's a place for that. And I think that the NFL sees that. And it's just so different across all teams, how they want to utilize their running back room. Just, switching positions a little bit just talking about players and the guys will probably know I'll talk about offensive linemen all day long because that's my favorite position to look at and, and speak about um and thinking just about dropping down a couple of rounds from the first top guys a player that I think is just a really solid potential player is from Old Dominion Nick Saldaveri um he is a guy who I think is is potential to be a, a reasonable player coming in um, I think the thing that I really like about him is his pass blocking ability. You see a lot of offensive linemen who I've I've seen who their 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 skill set is the run game first, work on pass protection. I think he's a little bit of the opposite way around. For a big guy, I really like his feet. Um, I think he's got quick feet and is able to kind of match up with with the edges. Um, and I think that he's someone who later on, when you're looking for that kind of swing tackle, potentially. Uh, uh, a lineman who's going to come in and be a serviceable starter with potential to be more. I think Saldaveri is a, is a is a good bet in that kind of role. Well, I love your scouting report on him because I haven't watched him yet. So I'm going to have to take your word for him on him. So look, I mean, going I, I could have said the, anything then. Well, you could have absolutely said anything. And if you said it confidently enough, which you did, I was absolutely going to believe you. So now I'm all in on him. And we when we go through offensive linemen in a couple of weeks, I got to make sure that I watch him. But just kind of to your point of what you were talking about of, Sometimes you have a picture of what you think offensive linemen are going to be, and it's a little bit different. That immediately, while you were talking about that, reminded me of Cody Mock from um, from North Dakota State, where Mock is this player who is a former tight end who threw on like 70 pounds 
and they put him in offensive tackle. And then he just became this offensive tackle prospect. So he's been an offensive tackle for the Bison for a couple of years now. And you would think to yourself, okay, former tight end, just threw on some extra weight to play tackle. He must have great feet, right? I mean, like he must move super well. He's going to be a great pass protector. And he wasn't, he's not like he was terrible in pass protecting or anything like that. But his run blocking grade and his mentality in run blocking was so much more advanced and is actually the calling card of his scouting report. So it's actually funny how you look at guys' background and you maybe think one thing like, oh, you know, they're going to be more of a finesse player. And it turns out they're more of a power player. But um, not every offensive lineman is exactly streamlined the way that you think. You know, I, I think that some people go into offensive line evaluation and their brain immediately says, okay, well, he's a reliable run blocker right now, but we've got to work on the pass blocking. Like, we got to work on the footwork and things like that. And for some guys, it's a little bit different, right? Anton Harrison, I think, is somebody like that from Oklahoma, where Mm -hmm. I like how Anton Harrison is right now as a pass blocker. Like, I love the finesse parts of his game more than I love the strength parts, the run blocking parts, and things like that. So, um just uh, you know, I got, I definitely gotta, wa- I got definitely gotta watch your dude. You gotta DM me, uh, make sure that I watch him and make him uh, one of the first names that I watch when I'm going through it. But uh, that just reminded me of that kind of evaluation with with O lineman. Cool. The the guy that I was going to go for next follows on that conversation again nicely and rounds off a conversation we were having before about um about floors and ceilings that I I still think Matthew Bergeron in from the, the tackle from Syracuse is still going underrated. We've spoken about him a lot. He's a guy that I really like. I mean, he's not so underrated now after he had a good week at the Senior Bowl, but but I still feel like he isn't maybe given as as much love as he deserves. That. I just think he's an all-round good football player. And you talk about reliable, dependent, solid. That's I feel like that's exactly what Matthew Bergeron is. That If you need a tackle to come in and start for you, I don't think you're going to go far wrong with Matthew Bergeron. He might not have the ceiling of Paris Johnson or, or Broderick Jones or even Dewan Jones or, or you know, Darnell Wright, but... But Bergeron is just extremely polished in in most areas, and I think if you if you want someone to come in, you, again, if you're going to draft probably up, you know, late on in on day two, that I just don't think a team's going to go far wrong with Matthew Bergeron. Yeah, six foot five, three hundred and twenty-two pounds. Uh, he's just very confident in himself. Yeah. We talked about Matthew Bergeron. Um, He said, like, even when Bergeron loses, it's not like he's getting absolutely whooped, right? It's not like he's getting embarrassed. It's not like he's hanging on for dear life is is the way that he put it. Uh, Even when he loses, it's kind of just the, oh, you know, the offensive, the the edge rusher just got the better of him a, a little bit, maybe just a little bit. But he's a player who going back to the conversation we had earlier, a lot of versatility, you know, and, and when you're looking at offensive linemen to pick mid rounds and day two, early, early day three, which I think you know probably be an, an end of day two guy. You want to look at the fact that he's played both sides of the offensive line. So clearly he's very comfortable just playing O-line in general, but he's also somebody who can flex inside for you. And, you know, going back to my beat reporting days, you know, when I was listening to coaches talk and listening to, you know, who is going to be the starter along the offensive line? Because we had that question one year. We felt like we were asking him every week. And, you know, you talk about, okay, well, who's next in line? And uh, one of the lessons that I learned is that they say, look, until you have a starting spot along the offensive line, you better be ready to play all five positions in the NFL. Be just because there's, it's not like college where there's so many active players on game day where you can carry all these, all these freshman and sophomore interior players. You can carry all of these 
freshman and sophomore offensive tackles. And when one goes down, you just put one of the younger kids in at that same position in the NFL. There's just not that many spots on the active game day roster. So you only get a handful of offensive linemen that you get to dress. And these guys have to be able to play all five positions. Now, Obviously, like a guy who's built for tackle, you're probably not going to put him at center and make him a fill-in yep. center. But you guys know what I'm talking about. If there's yep. a guy who goes down at, at guard and you just want to put up your next best offensive lineman, maybe that's a Matthew Bergeron type, right? A guy who can play tackle, can play on the interior. So he's somebody who I like his versatility a lot. I like his confidence a lot. He's somebody who I think teams are going to see as the steady Eddie player, yep. uh, high ceiling guy who, who gives you a lot of different looks. I'm... Trevor, I'd like to switch to, to defense and, and think about um, two positions that kind of end up as like hybrid, that kind of strong safety linebacker sort of position where more and more that that line is getting blurred and mm -hmm. players are being asked to do more than more than one thing, you know, being asked to cover, being asked to, to come downhill against the run. Whether there are any players in particular that you think fit that fit that kind of uh, role. Um, I was looking at guys like in terms of strong safety, like JL Skinner, those, mm. you know, slightly bigger safety or linebacker wise, Diane Henley, who mm -hmm. had a good, good senior bowl. What are your thoughts on that kind of hybrid role and how that might play out in the draft? Yeah. I mean, Henley's definitely one of them. I mean, he's somebody who gives you this souped up athleticism for an off ball linebacker type that was definitely able to show up right away at the senior bowl. So I know that he was kind of turning some heads in that way, just for how well he was moving amongst that group he's yeah he's somebody who definitely can carry that role of a faster linebacker type i'd say demarvion overshone as well from texas is another player who's like that former safety himself put on a little bit of weight played as an off-ball linebacker and um he's got unique size as well like he's a bigger longer player who gives you some of that athleticism there as well skinner i i i, I understand skinner's strengths he's a hitter but when you ask him to play in a lot of space, I just feel like the turning of the hips and the changing direction, it just takes a little bit longer for him. And he's a bigger, longer bodied player. So when you're high waisted, when you got long legs, it's just, it's physically tougher to do that. It just takes, um, more time than it does for players who maybe have smaller legs. They're a little bit more compact. And so I, I feel for Skinner in that regard, but I kind of do feel like he's got to be, a downhill strong safety type who's just a guy who's kind of like roaming over the middle will give you some of those old school hits over the middle um maybe some cut maybe cover some tight ends and some guys who are in the flat but you don't really want him turning the hips flipping the hips running with people it just felt like some of the bad reps of him when he was at the senior bowl had to do with him kind of changing direction and trying to get upfield in that way so those are some players there i mean shoot trenton simpson is 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 viewed as an off-ball linebacker i don't think anybody questions it but like he, he moves like a safety he, he, he truly feels like he is that safety who's just bigger stronger faster and just gets to play as an off-ball guy so i think that he's probably in that conversation skill set wise although you're not really going to drop him and have him be like a pseudo strong safety like maybe some of those other guys will but i'd say henley is a great shout out there overshone those are my two guys that as i'm kind of like looking through the list here they'd probably A little bit of a strong safety look if you're trying to go a little bit faster as well. Can I ask one more question? That's 
uh, MJ here is a is a Giants fan. We've been having a back and forth here over the last couple of recordings about the potential fit of Trenton Simpson to the Giants. Can we? What, what's your thoughts on that? Because I think me, both me and Stu, really like the fit. I mean, I yeah, no, I I like the fit as well. I, it just dep- it depends kind of how the Giants want to attack this offseason. You know, wide receiver is wide receiver is their biggest need, right? They just have to get better with pass catch. Even with the guys getting elevated a little bit, like Isaiah Hodges playing well, it's great. Wonder what happens with Darius Slayton. Um, doesn't seem like they're bringing Sterling Shepard back. So like they've got to get better at pass catcher and. If you're going to pick Trenton Simpson, it feels like you probably have to take him at that back end of the first round if you're the Giants. And so that's where the debate would come. Am I going after a pass catcher or would I take a linebacker? But when it comes to the fit itself, yeah, of course. I love it. I mean, like, this is a team that's got – I mean, they they. I'm looking at their depth chart now, and these guys are free agents, but their linebacker room is is – Landon Collins, Jalen Smith, Gerard Davis, like they were trying to do this. Those are all linebackers that in theory you bring on the team to be faster, more athletic guys in the middle. So instead you can maybe sub all of those guys out, let them walk in free agency. If you weren't too happy with their performances, draft a guy like Trent Simpson. And then if you draft a guy like Trent Simpson, then that allows you also to like play more of a traditional inside linebacker type of guy next to him. And then maybe you're not so worried about run, run stuffing opportunities. Cause that's what I felt like the giants were kind of in a pickle with is like, when you have all of those guys that I named coming in and out kind of a little bit of a liability against the run, but that's just, that was just my thoughts on it. And I, I would love Trent Simpson overall with the giants. I feel like he's what they've been searching for just on a rookie deal with somebody who gives them a little bit more promise. Yeah, I guess when you're playing out the scenarios and mock drafts, if the the receivers and the what the big three, I guess, receivers are gone, then then that's when you you start looking there. Sure, right. It's exactly right. what happened in my mock that I did this week. So I went to I went with Trent Simpson there. There was no receivers to pick. There you go. Now, Trevor, the guys have, have listed a few sort of um, day two, day three picks there. Some names that our listeners might not have heard of yet. Is there any guys that you, uh, you're you really keen on that you'll sort of round two, round three guys that we, we might not have heard of? All right. So, oh, well, I don't know. If, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys know the draft inside. Oh, now, we but know like, them just, all, but it mean more just, than listeners. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just some guys that I would uh, I'd give a shout out to. I think BJ Ojolari from LSU is getting slept on in this edge rusher class. Like, I, I feel like we're trying to make something of other edge rushers. Um, and Ojolari is just good. Like he's got good Ben. He's a good speed rusher. He understands the position really well. You can, you, you know that he, he understands how to win in so many different ways already. Like if I needed a guy to really step out there in the early parts of his rookie season, I feel like Ojolari is one of the better ones to get in this class. And I still think the ceiling's even higher from him. So it feels like he's going to be a day two pick, but I feel like he's getting slept on. Steve Avila, the interior offensive lineman from TCU at a monster week of the senior bowl, who I was super impressed with, who now I really like him um, as a as a day two guy. I think he's definitely going day two. I I still like, okay, I'm going down the list here. I like Felix Anudike Ozuma. I liked him even going back to summer scouting uh, when we were doing our summer scouting episodes on the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Sure, he's more of a traditional hand in the dirt, 4-3 defensive end, 5 technique kind of a player, but I think he brings you some unique speed, and I think he's got a powerful build to him, so I think he's got some good all-around game there. 
Garrett Williams, I like at corner. Uh, obviously, the injury is kind of – it's almost like out of sight, out of mind, the Syracuse corner – or the the corner from Syracuse, excuse me. He got hurt, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, now I don't have to really care about him anymore. But now it's the draft process again, and I feel like people haven't picked up on him again. And I just think that, no, he doesn't have a lot of experience as a press man coverage corner, but love his instincts and off coverage. Like, love the way that he keeps his eyes on the quarterback. I think he moves pretty well as well. So if you are in off coverage, if you're like a cover three team, a quarters team, I think Garrett Williams is a guy who is – who's definitely getting slept on a little bit there. But do you uh, think the combine is going to be, but he's obviously not going to participate, but just the, the intel that you can get from the combine um, in terms of the medicals, that'll be huge for him. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'll say this too. Uh, we, and I'm guilty of this too. So when I say yeah. we, I, I I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself. We're sometimes bad at this in draft media where we go, Oh, why isn't there any hype on this guy? And meanwhile, scouting staffs in the NFL are probably like, yeah, we already know about him. Like, we, we're like, we're good. We didn't forget about him. We're okay here. We're trying to win football games. But I, I do just feel as though because the injury, because of the lack of production, because of the lack of hype out of the season, he just hasn't been touched on as much. And so, sure, I, I think that certainly his presence at the Combine is going to be a big deal. The intel that we can gather, you know, we're, you know, we're talking to scouts. A lot of people talk to scouts and and uh, GMs and front office people while they're in Indianapolis, and you just get to learn what the NFL kind of thinks of these players. So, um yeah, those those are a handful of guys that I definitely like. And ooh, one more, one more. I just saw his name on the list that I that I definitely wanted to shout out. Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, another senior bowl guy. I like Keanu Benton, man. I, I I watched his tape before the senior bowl because we did our interior defensive line episode on the podcast before senior bowl. And so I got to learn a little bit more about his background. Nose tackle at Wisconsin, uh, kind of got to start during his sophomore season as a run stuffer, as a big, powerful guy in the middle. But going into this past year as his last year at Wisconsin, I watched an interview of his, and a lot of people were asking him, like, oh, what's your goal? What are you trying to get better at? And he's like, I want to get better as a pass rusher. Like, I want to well, I want to round out my game. I don't want to just be known as this shade nose player, this run stuffer. He's like, I don't, I don't want to just be this two-gap player. I want to be somebody who could play on all three downs. And when it comes to those third and long situations – Basically, I worked hard to put our team in favorable third down situations. I want to stay on the field and go after the quarterback. And I think that you saw him develop a lot of different pass rush moves, and he saw them, saw him put those on display in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. The hands were fast and violent. The swim move was, move was very quick. The push-pull technique, I felt like, was on point during the one-on-one drill. So he is another guy. Somewhere on day two, I think a team's going to be very happy drafting Keanu Benton. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I guess I want to ask another sort of bigger picture question. Obviously, you work with PFF. They've got all the data, all the stats, all their rankings. Incredible the amount of um, stuff you've got. You've got your fingertips there. How much do you take that, um, I guess, into consideration when when you're doing your rankings and, and you, you know, your, your general scouting? Yeah, it just it, it makes it a lot easier because um, I think when people <laughs> when people think of like PFF's data, the um, some people just think it's like this magical thing that's like unquantifiable unless you, you know, you, you get your hands on it. But really, the best part about PFF's database is it's organized. So the thing that I get the most from the tools that we have, yeah, we have some more advanced analytics that give a little bit more context to things, you know, like, um, of course, for quarterbacks, like categorizing big time throws and turnover worthy plays instead of just touchdowns and interceptions. Like those things are, you're able to quantify play instead of just common statistics. But the best way to utilize the the database that we have at PFF 
is like for a wide receiver, I can tell you how many receiving snaps a wide receiver had, how, whether it was in the slot, whether it was out wide, whether it was on the line scrimmage, whether it was off the line scrimmage, whether they faced press during that, during that snap, um, whether it was a contested catch at the end, whether they hauled in the contested catch, uh, how many times they're getting targeted per route run that they have during the game. And it's just all right there and very organized. So for example, if I, I, I went through this the other day, I was like, okay, Quinn Johnston, wide receiver from TCU. I like a lot of his film. I like a lot of the things that he does. He's an explosive kind of vertical threat, kind of a wide receiver. I like the speed profile in this game, but I'm like, he's six four two fifteen though. Like I, I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head, like a lot of contested catch situations. So I can go to his catches and I can sort just the contested catch looks and I can see the percentage of how many times he came down with a contested catch look. And then a bonus part of working for PFF is when I go to that contested catch category, I can click on the little icon and the film pops up and I can literally watch that exact clip of where they recorded that. So it just makes my job. It's, it's, it's not, well, I mean, there are some things that, that, that we have that, that other people don't, but it's more of the organization part of it to where I, I am able to watch a lot more prospects in the manner in which I want to watch them. And that's kind of the blessing of, of PFF and, and why I think our draft guide is phenomenal because uh, the work that Mike Renner is putting in the work that uh, so many people who are working with him and alongside him to put that product together and continue to update it throughout the draft season. They're not just looking at the raw numbers without context. They are detailed. They're, they're figuring out exactly which numbers matter most to certain prospects to what will tell the story of the real strengths and weaknesses of what guys are bringing to the NFL. There we go. Thank you. Um, need to get on PFF more. That's what we're learning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, it, I guess, tell uh, tell listeners a bit more about yourself and all the things you do on the, the Stock Exchange po- podcast and, and PFF in general. Yeah. So, I mean, we're having a lot of fun this draft season. It's been a blast so far, um, especially over at the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Myself and Connor Rogers. We're coming to you guys three times a week with new episodes, and it can be all different sorts of stuff. It's mock drafts. It's big boards. It's um, episodes about fixing different teams, franchises, how we see teams, uh, and their outlooks as they're moving forward. We're, we've got positional rankings that are coming out every single week. It's all sorts of different topics. So the main place that you can find us there is on YouTube, youtube.com backslash at NFL stock exchange. That's how you can find it. We're, we're a new channel. We used to be on the main PFF channel, but now we are branching out. We want to kind of like streamline the draft content a little bit more. So now we've got our own new channel that we're kind of, that, that we're starting to grow, which has been uh, a lot of fun already, but yeah, come hang out with us. Obviously listeners of this podcast, after you get done listening to every new episode here, come hang out with me and Connor at the NFL stock exchange podcast. Just so you know, we're, we're all sex addicts on this show as well. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. We're just not 64240. <laughs> you know, you know, that's okay. That's a, that's okay. I mean, you can't you can't host that means you can't host the show, but that doesn't mean that we love you any less and that we don't love uh, talking draft with everybody. So I appreciate you guys a ton, man. That means a lot. There you go. Now you have to listen to understand what that means, or or if not, it'll just be a little weird. <laughs> Especially that the was... sex addict part, which I never <laughs> thought was going to, which I never thought was going to grow the way that it did. But here we are now.
Good stuff. Well, Trevor, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been an absolute treat. Hopefully we can get you on again maybe next year or maybe somewhere close to the draft. But yeah, check out all Trevor's work on PFF and of course the Stock Exchange podcast once you finish listening to this, of course. Um, but yeah, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you know all this stuff. The website's 99yards.com. The Twitter is at 99yards. But yeah, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon.